Hey everyone, welcome to the Mass Construction Show with today's guest, Sean Lover, President at Columbia Construction. I'm your host, Joe Kelly, and this is a podcast about all things construction in Massachusetts and beyond. In this episode, Sean and I discuss his approach to leadership as part of a Dean's Panel discussion at Wentworth School of Management. Sean's candidness brought a lot of value to even non-construction professionals that all of us could learn from. If you enjoy the podcast, please consider liking, sharing, reviewing, or supporting the show in any way you see fit. Today's show is brought to you by Central, commercial carpenters and supporters of our conversation. Enjoy the show. Hey, Sean, welcome to the Mass Construction Show. Thank you for having me. Great. So we're out here at Wentworth as part of a leadership series, and Sean, we reached out to you not because you know, you're claiming to be an expert in leadership. Um, you're someone that, you know, I've dealt with over the years and just through our conversations, you know, I see it myself that you're a leader and you have good leadership qualities, kind of ones that I gravitate to because I tend to like the leader that is, you know, not pounding their chest, but is a quiet leader and kind of leads by example. And then having spoken to people that you have worked with in the past and currently work with, you know, they let us know that you're a leader and, you know, I had one person say he's the reason that I stayed at Columbia. So that's a pretty strong statement and that's good enough for me to, you know, say that you're really a good person that we should talk to about leadership. So it's a long way of saying we're not here because you're claiming to be an expert. Absolutely not. But just that we're here to talk about how you handle leadership at Columbia and maybe in other places in your life. So I thought maybe a good place to start, hoping to kind of understand what informs you, what do you consider a good leader or what do you look for in someone that you would want to follow? Yeah, like you said, I think um, I I view leadership different in different scenarios, right? It's kind of like, almost like an a la carte menu, right? Uh, Like us, we're not perfect. Right, and we have a long way to go. I think the first thing we look for is humility, right? Lack of ego. Mm-hmm. Um, certainly at, at Columbia, we, we preach kind of a team first mentality, um, kind of all in it together. Um, but, you know, in addition, you know, I think there is a little bit of grit, right? A little bit of, um, you, know, you have to be a good communicator. I do believe active listening is a huge part of being a good mm-hmm. leader as well. Um, you know, I think empathy is a big part. Um, I do believe, you know, we are a people first company. I certainly believe that in my heart. Um, and, and I do believe you need, you need the empathy. Uh, I also, again, not, none of us are perfect in any of the, in any of these. And, and I'm almost not saying what are you, but what do you look for? Like when you have that ideal leader, yeah. so you want to see somebody that's empathetic, somebody that yeah. listens. Yeah. So when I'm following, if I'm looking for someone or if I'm, you know, if I gravitate towards a leader, um, I believe um, being like the emotional intelligence aspect, being kind of socially aware, like maybe in a room or if it's a team or a company where someone's struggling and there's a leader that can kind of pick that up. Hmm. To me, that's a that's a huge quality that I look for and say that, you know, this 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 person gets it. It's kind of saying like the EQ. Yeah, side of I, I think the EQ side of things is a, is a huge part of, of someone that I gravitate towards. Um, again, I people that I very similarly people that I I, I would say I gravitate away from. <laughs> um, again, big ego, chest pumping, you know, mm-hmm. about them. It's just not how I grew up. It's not how I was raised. And it's certainly not, um, I don't think that's the type of leader that people want to follow, right? Staying with that, so were there people from your childhood or maybe early career that you looked at and, and kind of l- that learned from, kind of thought like, hey, oh, that person has traits that I like, and yeah. were there people early on, and kind of who were they? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even, in, you know, growing up, my, my, my father was, uh, you know, he was a machinist, but, you know, he had areas where he had to be a leader. He, you know, we ran our local 500 Boys and Girls Club, right, so the sports, you know, so you can kind of just see little glimpses there. I had some good teachers that took me under their wing. A lot of my coaches growing up, um, you know, you, again, you, you take the good and you kind of leave the bad. I think you kind of form your own thing. Um, mm. But certainly in my career, you know, I started my career at Turner. I uh, worked for some great people. Um, again, people that I gravitated towards that just understood, took the time to understand who you are, how are you wired, what make, you know, what, 
what drives you a little bit. Um, you know, and we're good teachers and good coaches. I think uh, those are the people that I really gravitated towards and, and certainly gave me a boost in my career. Um, and again, you, you can learn just as much from the people that you don't want to emulate. And I certainly had a few of those <laughs> as well. Yeah. Um, now, were you still having the screamers as supers? Uh, when you were starting out? When I was starting out, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. No, I, I worked for, and I won't say names. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I experienced it too. Yeah. I worked for some of the most notorious screamers and yellers um, you could think of. Um, but again, they, great. I think they were great people. It's just that was the industry in a lot of ways back then. But I think we've, as an industry, have grown a ton mm. um, to understand you can get a little better results acting a little differently. Yeah. I mean, did you learn, like, okay, that's clear. I, I felt like when I was watching that, I would saying that is not the way to do it. And you could just see, and to me it was almost uh, like puzzling. It got to a point where you could look at the screamers and say like, can't you see that doesn't work? Right. Like in the moment, in the short run, it's very short term thinking like, okay, I'm gonna scream and cause a commotion and yeah, we'll get this single task done. But you're not helping yourself in the long, the long no. run and you're not gaining respect by, by doing that? No, exactly. And I think it's short-term results and, you know, I think I, I kind of had enough of an opinion base from my, kind of my sports days, right, where you know that's a short-term result, mm -hmm. right, and you're not going to get the best of your team, the best of your group, the best of whatever you're doing mm -hmm. um, in the long term that way. Yeah. So. Do you, how do you kind of distinguish between, I guess, your management style? Mm -hmm versus leading or do you see them as, as one and the same at all or? Um, I get, yeah, I mean, I guess a lot of similar similarities. I guess I would break it off a little bit where um, I guess I view management really more specific to individuals, right? I think leadership, you can get a little bit more broad in my mind. Mm. Um, but as far as like a management style, right? Like I would kind of consider again, the type of people I would follow and where I've tried to emulate, right, is kind of like a, a democratic slash coaching type style where uh, I, I like soliciting opinions, getting feedback from the stakeholders, um, you know, making sure that the team is kind of bought in, right? Um, yeah. so, so sleuthing a lot of feedback. Um, and then coaching, I think, you know, you, you kind of can relate to the coaching side where you're looking for people's strengths and weaknesses and mm -hmm. you're trying to help coach up the weaknesses and, and put them in positions to succeed with their strengths. So that's kind of the management style I try to follow, not that I'm perfect in it by any means. Um, yeah. And that seems like it's applicable for subcontractors too, right? So. Yeah, for if, sure. If you put subcontractors in a place where they're going to be successful, then they're really going to support you. Absolutely. Right? And yeah, a big part of that is, is just being, is having honest conversations. And I think that's one trait that, you know, I've certainly worked hard on and I think everyone can work hard on it is try to have how to have honest conversations and difficult conversations right because going to the subcontractor road um, just like we're not a fit for every project sometimes subcontractors it's not the right fit for timing or type of project or manpower or whatever but being able to be honest with that is important hmm. so kind of understanding uh, well the way I look at it is I imagine it's a process learning to be a leader right you can't read a textbook you can't go to take classes. You can take classes that can maybe help help you be better, but that's part of that process, right? So there's, there's looking at people, there's learning things, there's going to classes. Um, were there any points along the way where you had kind of aha moments or things where you watched interaction happen? Maybe it was a screamer and you were like, it, 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 something clicked for you. Were there any moments that kind of helped things click and, and put you in a certain direction? Yeah, yeah, for sure. I'm trying to think back. There was one, um, I, I think I tried to, I don't know, I didn't, I didn't grow up with much, right? I think I you know, even had sports. I was shorter, smaller, skinny, right? I, I, I had to work hard on a lot of things. So I think I always, my family was kind of that way, right? Mm -hmm. Very blue collar. Um, and my mother washed dishes at Pizza Hut, right? We, we, we barely scraped by. Um, but my sister was a very good role model for me. Um, but taking that to the professional world, I, I didn't, I was pretty quiet, right? I didn't, I didn't talk a lot. You know, I was on the teams I did, sports teams, but when it came to the business side of it, I really just kind of put my head down and worked hard. And I remember when I was at Turner on one co-op, um, I was still co-oping and 
I was put in charge of managing full-time employees. And there was, one, there was one project where it was very informal. I wasn't technically, but I, the, the, my manager, the superintendent, basically implied, no, no, you need to oversee these people. And I'm thinking, what does he see in me to, for that to be the case? But okay, right, so you need to become a little more vocal, a little more you know, outside of yourself. And then the next co-op, they actually formally put me in charge of full-time hires, which was just kind of an aha moment. Like, maybe they see something in me that I, maybe I don't see in myself. Mm -hmm. um, but again, I think a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, to, to your point, like I do believe you can definitely learn to become a better manager, no doubt. And I mm -hmm. think a lot of those skills are applicable to the leadership side of things. Uh, we had a person, we have a person in our company right now um, who was a heads down estimator 13 years ago. Heads down, one of the best estimators in the industry. Is now, I would say, one of if not our best leaders and managers in our company. Mm -hmm. um, and that was a very much a self-taught process. Um, I think it was always in him, right? But he read books, he found peers, he found mentors. Mm. He asked a lot of questions, very inquisitive, um, super humble, right? Continuous improvement mindset, always trying to do better, um, all about the team, not himself, right? So I, think, I do think you can learn to improve the leadership skills. Um, there's certainly a lot of intangible things that I mm -hmm. think are there or not, but. Yeah. So uh, I, I guess, I, if I'm playing Dr. Phil here, having your mom wash dishes at Pizza Hut and your dad being the machinist, like you mentioned you thought a good leader is humble, right? And um, ability to kind of understand people. Do you think seeing that helps you to like kind of have that EQ to understand where people are coming from because um, one person said to me Sean actually listens and I think so much of us myself included and probably a lot of folks in the room you know we're probably very guilty of not listening like we should you know do you think some of that is the upbringing and how much of leadership is is listening yeah. people. Yeah, I, I would definitely uh, attribute a lot of it to the upbringing. Um, but I would say as a, as a leader, 75% is active listening. And, I, and it's something I've had to work on. I've read books about, right? You know, because mm -hmm. uh, I think a, a lot of times in our career, you, you, you think you know the answer and you cut people off. It, there's nothing more demoralizing than letting someone talk and then undermining them and cutting them off and, and finishing their sentence, right? Mm -hmm. Um, some people get that, some don't, but I think you have to listen, you know, going back to management, like you have to understand what makes people tick, what, how they're wired, how they're motivated, what stage of life they're in, right? Mm -hmm. Because we all go through different stages of life when your kids are young, maybe you have kids, maybe you don't, maybe you, you're motivated by a yoga class at five o'clock that is really important to you. Like you have to understand your people mm -hmm. and that takes a lot of work, it takes a lot of work. Um, but I do believe the best managers that I've certainly worked for and with and around um, take that time to understand their people hmm. and put them in the best positions at that point in time. How do you struggle or how do you get through the struggle of your pretty, how big is Columbia now? From of 210 people. Yeah. How do you manage knowing 210 people? Uh, quite honestly, I can't. Right, so yeah. I think that's where I'm, I'm super lucky to be surrounded by phenomenal people, um, mm. you know, at, at the department heads and management level, kind of the mm. senior management level. Um, because there was a point in time where I think I did, when we were 40, 50, 60 people, I think I did know most people to a point. Mm -hmm. um, and as much as I'd love to ever know every single one of them now, uh, I do know a lot of them, um, but I really rely on them and, and, and e we rely on each other to get to that level, right? So. Mm. Uh, the career development discussions, the work-life balance discussions really need to be the day-to-day -day management because I could sit there and preach all day long that this is what we're about, or we're about you know, life satisfaction, but if their manager, direct manager isn't operating that way, hmm. then it's all smoke and mirrors. So we really work really hard with the managers to, again, sharpen the tool set a little bit on how to manage, how to listen, um, how to build trust, right? I mean, to me, you know, one good book is uh, Five Dysfunctions of a Team, and the first principle is you got to get to know your people. You got to you got to you got to trust each other, and mm -hmm. there's only one way to do that, and it's not easy. You got to get to know them. <laughs> mm 
or her, and it, it takes time. Yeah, you know. So I'm hearing a few a few things, but uh, I guess how would how would you put your leadership style if you were to describe it? And, and maybe it's you know three things that you would focus on, or I don't want to put words in your mouth. Yeah, what? no, um, it's hard. It's a hard question because I, I like I I hear. Um, hard work and I hear like okay that leader should kind of lead by example and put in the work mm -hmm. um, honesty active listening so listen to your people know your people be honest with them and be willing to do the hard work yourself right you can't just sit from the top and Correct. tell everybody to do would, would you say that does that yeah. feel about right for I, I, I would like to think so I mean um, to me I think one of the big qualities that I try to, like, I, I don't, don't pretend to be perfect. I don't pretend to be the smartest in any given subject. To me, one of the best qualities of a leader is understanding your weaknesses, your own weaknesses and your own gaps. So we try to hire and fill and, and, and put people in positions that really fill our gaps and my gaps, mm -hmm. right? Uh, so if I'm surrounded by some super intelligent people that are really good in their areas, that makes all of us better, including, including me. So. Mm. I think um, I really, and that's kind of how I've looked at Columbia and how we've looked at Columbia is where are the gaps? You know, I think in construction, I'm sure people that, you know, are in the industry understand it. Like a lot of times people look at it such like a, such a linear, like linear rise to promotions, right? Mm -hmm. We kind of look at it a little bit different, right? Um, and we've created positions that we created a continuous improvement department. Mm. Um, <laughs> because we, we felt like it was the right time for this, um, for Siggy family. I'm not sure if you know Siggy. Yeah, phenomenal Siggy. person. Um, you know, just emotional intelligence, you know, galore. Um, but we found that we, we talked about a lot of good things that we wanted to get done. Um, but when we left the room, right, we all go to do our day job, so it's hard to keep things moving. Well, she created her own role. We kind of created it literally sitting and talking, mm. and she was in charge of helping keeping initiatives moving getting in the stakeholders involved and making sure the ball kept rolling and but to me that's like again it, it's tying like it's kind of so one quality of a leader is like connecting dots you know you may hear something or like you know you think of something and then you you talk to this person and you start to connect pieces and like you know this might make sense <laughs> you mm -hmm. know and then you get to figure out the right time right right person right timing right yeah I, I often found that I worked in places where it wasn't necessarily the person with the highest title or a higher or title that was in fact the leader you know there would be some person that could be as low as an APM on a particular job site and that's who everybody went to right because that's who people trusted yep. and was able to connect dots and could get along with everybody so you know do you think that leadership is absent of title I do. Yeah, I, I don't think the title, honestly, I don't think title matters really at all with the definition of leadership. Hmm. Um, some of our best leaders are superintendents. So, you know, we have, again, phenomenal project management staff, you know, younger people, Wentworth grads, right, um, yep. that, are, that are just leaders. Hmm. You know, you, someone you'd want to work with, work around, be around, you know, positive energy. Um, not naive, right? I think yep. some people, cr you know, think positivity is, is you know, kind of, Pollyanna type thing, right? It's really not. To me, there's a, you have to have a little bit of grit and patience, right? But if things are going wrong, I think good leaders, it kind of, things kind of slow down for them. Mm -hmm. They're a little calmer, yep. right? Where people may be panicking. Hmm. Um, but that could be any position, any role, right? Yeah. If I can go back a little bit, because I've heard this from a lot of people. You talked about how, you know, people want paths that are kind of linear and younger folks that show up and, and not even younger but people at all different points of career and they want to see their career path and whether it's project engineer APM PM senior PM PX and when am I going to be a PM mm -hmm. when am I going to be a senior PM if people want that linear path but that might not be the right path for them. Mm -hmm. How do you have that discussion? And how do you work through that and get those non-traditional paths, like 
Siggy, and I've done a few different episodes. This is kind of a thing that I really like, because mm-hmm. uh, I call them carving your own path. People that are within companies that did not take the you know, project uh, field engineer, assistant super, didn't take a traditional path, yep. kind of carve their own path, have a little niche. Like, how do you manage that and how do you communicate with folks if, you know, the path isn't going to be th- that linear kind of straight line? Yeah, and again, I think a lot of it is um, the training the managers, right? So we, we do have a process now at our, at our company, and I credit Sean Gallant, um, who's um, our Senior Vice President of Operations. Um, you know, we really have kind of a, a proven process that I, I believe in, uh, creating SMART goals, roadmaps, right? A lot of, um, you know, kind of a lot of plus deltas. So we use a lot of lean tools mm-hmm. in kind of developing career roadmaps. Um, but, but it all boils down to honesty. Right, and I think that's where if the manager can't be honest and doesn't feel comfortable saying that, because I think a lot of companies get in trouble with false promises, right? Uh, where they you have a manager that just well, you know, this person has to be promoted because they're pushing against me, and even though they're not ready, and again, if they're not ready, it's up to that person to convince them that you know, hey, let's get this right, take the time, um, and guide them to where they can get to, right? Um, yeah, I mean, I know companies that are caving to that, which is, we're going to promote because we don't promote, we're going to lose them. It's hard, right? We have a workforce shortage, right? Yeah. I completely agree. If we don't give it to them, someone else might. Yeah. Are you finding success with honest conversations? Yeah, I I would say we are batting pretty well in that Mm -hmm. category. Um, Sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. Again, I think yeah. it's, it's up to us to convey the, the five-year and beyond plan. And that's one thing I did, I learned certainly when I was at Turner. Um, you know, back then I felt like, even as a co-op or a assistant superintendent, I felt like that they looked out five, 10 years about what your potential might be at that time. Um, so I think it's important for us as leaders and managers to, underst- to, to, to kind of show them, not just even in, in skill set, but also in compensation. Right, if I'm 25 years old, it's so hard to get ahead these days, right? If I'm 25 years old trying to buy a house, want to raise a family, I, I kind of would like to know what, what I'm going to look like at 30 mm. if I'm on this roadmap, right? So I yep. think a lot of times people hold their cards to their chest, like all about transparency. Like I'm all about transparency and, and our managers are, are, are there too where we're not hiding anything. Like if I'm 25 and I'm, I'm going to you know, raise a family or go buy a house in the suburbs, I kind of want to know what my future holds. Why not be honest? Right, yeah. and if we all we both live up to our, you know, some sometimes things happen, and, and you, you know you can't control circumstances, but as long as it's like qualifications, as long as these things happen and we hold this end of the bargain, this is where we see you. There's nothing wrong with having that conversation. Yeah, if you do X, we'll do Y. Yeah, right. It's it's, it's both sides, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, I, it, it's funny doing what I do. I have the privilege to talk to a lot of people, and I have come across time and time again, companies that don't treat their own people well, and what happens is they get to a critical mass, Mm -hmm. and then the person finds out. I had one person that reached out to me and said, hey, is this, what is the market rate for a person with this title? And I said, it's between this and this. And they're like, okay, wow, that's, that's what I thought because they spoke to one company and they had been in another company for quite some time and they were almost like, um, it was like they were, they were so loyal to that company they were there. I'm, I'm, I'm struggling for the right word, but they were so like kind of disheartened and disgusted that like they're paying me that much under the market and I was here and considered myself kind of a lifer. Right. And that's what the market is. Yep. Um, yeah, so I think most companies aren't honest. They're like, okay, if we can continue to get this person at a good rate, we're going to give them their 3 4 5% raise, and they're not going to up to the market. Right. So I think, yeah, I mean, I think if, if, if you're willing to have those honest conversations, and I, I think you're right, if somebody sees that, because you had talked about earlier, knowing where someone is in their life. Yep. And yeah, you're 20-something and you have three roommates to make rent. 15 grand goes 
a long way. Yep. If you're 58 and your kids are out of school and <coughs> you don't and your mortgage is paid for, right? Uh, 50 grand. I don't mean it means nothing, but that's not really that important to them. So yeah, yeah. Everyone's yeah. motivated differently. Yeah. Right. And that goes back to knowing knowing all your people. Right. Right. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's, you know, I mean, w we certainly pride ourselves. And again, I, I learned it from Jim, Bruce, and Randy, my three owners that I, you know, learned from and are still on our board. Um, they were always people first, even in down years, right? The Great Recession, 2009. We got bonuses, right? I don't even think they took salaries, right? Mm. But they always treated their people first. And, and that's the principle they instilled in me. Like, the first thing we do at the end of the year is we, we, set aside a large chunk of money for our people and their bonuses because we, we take pride in that hmm. and again we're, we're nothing without them right and and uh, I think we've and again this goes back to the AGC I think the AGC has done a great job and obviously Bill Allerud as a chair now hmm. right but yeah. um, and John Ferrante the president um, kind of open sourcing a little more information right not that we all know where everyone gets paid but we've done a good job with anonymous surveys making sure we all understand Right, where fall people should fall, yep. at least generally, and then we can all adjust accordingly based on what company you are. Yep. Right. Um, you know, we recently committed to making sure that we evaluate every single person in our company twice a year to make sure no one's falling behind. So, um, yeah, there's things you can do for sure. Yeah, that's excellent. How about anything with respect to uh, maybe I might say protecting your people? Like I consider a good leader someone who, if someone that's working for them has made a mistake, yep. they're willing to take the bullet for that person. And the conversation is going to happen with that person on the side. But, you know, uh, do you feel like that's important as a leader to be willing to, you know, pr protect your people and... Um, do you have any thoughts kind of around that? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, uh, to me, that's, a, uh, that's another huge quality of a leader, right? I mean, there's a great book, Leaders Eat Last, right? And I think mm -hmm. that's a phenomenal philosophy because I do believe that. You could, you could kind of take the bullets when needed, right, but lead from behind when things are good, right? Mm -hmm. I think, you know, we, we try to, you know, because, again, everyone comes from different companies so a lot of times at, our, at Columbia, right? So a lot of companies you have to self-promote a little bit. Right, and you gotta, you know, if you get if you get a win or you finish a project, it's gotta be, you know, my name's gotta be first, right? It, like, just that's just not who we are. And I think, mm. you know, you promote your people, people's successes. But if something mm. goes wrong, you you step up and take it, right? And I think that's a huge sign of a uh, of a quality leader that's willing to do that. But I think that it's on us as a, on me and on us as a company to create the culture of a psychological safe environment, right? And that's mm. something that we're actually getting ready to like dive deeply into the wormhole on. We're actually hiring a consultant to help train ourselves and evaluate is the number one indicator of a successful company in any business is psychological safety. Hmm. So if you can create an environment where people are not afraid to make mistakes and not afraid to speak up and say, hey, I did something wrong or hey, we've, we've discovered an issue. Psychological safety is proven. There's a lot of books. Um, I'm trying to think the uh, Fearless Organizations one, right? Um, there's a couple others as well. Brene Brown wrote a couple. but. Basically, psychological safety, if you, can, if you can instill that in your people, in your managers, in your company, where everyone, no matter what position they are, can feel free to walk into my office or anyone's office and say, we, we did something wrong, then that's like the number one indicator. And this, mm. this, it's like a huge wormhole. If you go down it, a <laughs> rabbit hole. Well, I'm, I was writing it down. So like they did these you. tests, I don't know, 15 years ago, where it started to be discovered, right, where they, they, they were measuring hospitals. And on face value, right, the, they found hospitals that had, you know, no reported issues. Everything looks great. Mm -hmm. Then there's another hospital that had a ton of reported issues and mistakes, right? And when they dug into it, the hospital that reported all these mistakes was actually a much higher performing hospital. Mm. But on paper, it looks like this company is because no one wanted to speak up. Mm. So I think that goes back to your point, like making people feel comfortable to make a mistake. And leaders... And all of us and managers need to make sure we f make people feel comfortable. Yeah. Okay. Two kind of follow-ups. Having worked at companies that, if you didn't self-promote, or frankly, if you didn't kiss ass, <laughs> you didn't get a promotion. How do you? Uh, and I worked at a place where um, 
that was the theory, which is like if you kiss so and so's ass, you'll get a promotion, and that's what people like were looking at, and like that appears to be the case. Mm -hmm. And there was a bunch of us that were much more of the head down and just do just do your job. That's what you're paid to do. Yep. Like just stop wasting time kissing people's ass. Just go get your job done. Yep. There was one person in that group that said, "I'm going to commit." To kissing this person's ass for a year <laughs> uh, and sure as shit a year later that person got an amazing promotion wow and none of the rest of us did wow. and um, you know it's an N1 but it was a reality so my question to you is not so much about the kiss ass piece but how do you make sure that the head down people get recognized and not recognized as like yeah, yeah. put up on a pedestal but th that person is performing they should be compensated yep. they should be a raise that person walks around and tells everybody about how much stuff they do you know how, how, how do you that seems like a challenge how do you absolutely and, and and again I think as you get bigger right it was a small company you have a little more feel but I think the consistency in your processes and procedures are extremely important and we we have you know subcommittees working on performance reviews right so we we've we've established a pretty good process with performance reviews multiple check-ins per year that are documented career roadmap that's documented smart goals specific smart goals right specific specific measurable timely right mm -hmm. you know so making sure everyone is following the same process um, now again, the challenge becomes if you have different managers who rate differently and different managers who, who, who develop differently and coach differently, mm. and that's where we have to know our managers a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Everyone has a little bit of a different style. Is this person getting coached as well as this person's getting coached? But it starts with consistency in the product, right? And making mm. sure that everyone is getting included um, and having you know, equitable treatment. Right. Um, again, it's easier said than done, but I think we work really hard and we have a lot of work to do, and I have a lot of work to do, mm. to make sure our managers are managing consistently. But that is my biggest, um, you know, one of our biggest challenges to make sure that it's not kind of like the island syndrome where if you're over here working, you get this great experience, and you're over here, you're getting treated completely different. Like mm. we're working really hard on trying to align mm -hmm. our, the, the experience, right? Okay. Not easy. Yeah. Not easy. Okay. And then back to the, psychological safety it's funny so uh, you're gonna go down this rabbit hole I can tell yeah I, I you am I'm telling you and uh, <laughs> I, I see it right so now half of mass construction's business is education for construction companies mm -hmm. there are particular construction companies that we will go to and we have this this probably 30 something classes but it's the same content being taught at different places yep and there are two companies in particular where you will go there and you know that no one will ask a question. Wow. And we'll be teaching the same content at other places and everybody's asking questions. Yep. And they're talking and they're, they're we're learning. And, and my kind of, um, you know, theory on it was that this company, there must be a lot of like, backstabbing and people don't feel safe because it was going to be like oh did you hear Joe didn't even know about such and such right so no one in the room will wow ask a question well wow. and I have to imagine that that group is not psychologically they don't feel safe no absolutely I, I would agree with you 100 percent and I think so couple ways you can work on that right like teaching facilitation skills because I think we have we might have the opposite problem or everyone's giving opinions and asking questions which is phenomenal yeah now we need to make sure we facilitate the meetings and and you know because there's always gonna be one or two that are a little more reserved mm -hmm. they usually have the the best Ideas. feedback yeah right so mm -hmm. having the facilitation skills to make sure one person doesn't you know answer ask every question allotted right and making sure you're pulling out from others and I think that's where you start to that person feels like, oh, okay, well, I don't have to be the loud boisterous around to get my, my opinion heard. And I mm -hmm. think that's where you start to create that environment. Yeah. And then it's, you know, making sure there's no ramifications to mistakes. Like, we're, we're, I make mistakes every day, right? Mm. And it's okay, right? Yeah. As long as we're all learning from it, right? And that's the whole continuous improvement model is you got to plan, do, check, adjust. 
you know, and that's by, by nature, you're making mistakes. Mm. Otherwise, you're batting perfect, <laughs> which no one is, right? Yeah. All so right. the challenge becomes when you start to bring in new people, right? We're growing five, six, seven, eight percent staff a year, making sure those people understand that. That's, that's kind of the challenge. Yeah. yeah. And then you're adding to the stable of managers and right. then making sure now you have that same, yep. same struggle. Yep. Okay. Now, with self-reflection, I've learned that I like to talk about bigger, broader concepts, but I have people that give me feedback and say that they want detail. Well, how exactly do you do that? What are the steps? Please give me directions. Yep. So I'm adding in some more questions that are not typical to what I would typically ask. Mm -hmm. um, so it, this one is still a little more broad, but then we'll get slight, then we'll get much more specific. But how do you think through decisions where you have to balance somebody's career mm -hmm. versus the success of a company? Because mm -hmm. if you're saying I, you know, I know, our, we know our people and we want to do what's best for them for where they are in their like, life. And if yoga class at five is the most important thing for them, but this is a job that requires 70, 80 hours a week because there's liquidated damages and that's the reality. How do you square the circle? Or circle the square, whatever the word. Yeah, <laughs> no, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's two part, right? One is getting back to, you have to know your people. Um, and again, I think there, we have some people in our, like the one in particular, right? You know, senior person would literally do anything. I could ask him, what do you want to do next? Anything the company needs. And I truly believe he believes that. Mm -hmm. um, and we kind of look for gaps and what do we really need? And that's kind of, I mean, he's evolved his role multiple times, right? And I truly believe that. And that fulfills him, helps the company, perfect. Um, other people, you need multiple or all the parts of the equation to line up, right? So I, I think if you're gonna try to convince someone to do a role that they're not ready for, time in their life's not right, you know, again, that's where the honesty comes in. It's okay, right? Maybe the opportunity is gonna be there down the road, maybe it's not right for now, let's figure out what is right. Or maybe it's the type of project or the project that you're on. I think being honest with each other is important. But like you said, it is construction, right? Mm -hmm. There are jobs that are hard, projects that are work weekends sometimes, right? I think we try to do a better job and be more cognizant of people's home situation, right? I was a super, so I, I always feel like I'm a super at heart. Mm -hmm. um, I never forget working the Saturdays and Sundays, right? And coming home and the only pictures I have of my first son um, born was the kid sleeping on my chest because I was never awake. Mm -hmm. I was either working or sleeping. Yep. Um, so I get it and I feel that, right? So I think what we've tried to do is create structure and making sure that there's not those jobs with one super, one PM, right? We, you know, we have assistance now, we have secondary supers. So you can ebb and flow and you could, you could play off each other and you could take breaks and you could take days off, right? And we, we really work, tr re try to work really hard to make sure people do take their vacations, right? Because there was a time in our history in Columbia where we were one super per job in a lot of cases, mm -hmm. right? And it's really hard to take a vacation if you're one super. Um, so I think creating structure helps that, that work-life balance, right? But I think there's another good book, Off Balance, um, that talks about you know, how work-life balance is, the equation's kind of a myth it's really work-life satisfaction, and everyone is satisfied differently. Mm. There are people, and again, I have a senior manager that absolutely gets fulfillment in his heart by reviewing reports on a Saturday. I can't convince him otherwise. He'll have a cigar in his deck and go through, he loves every second of it. Who am I to take that away from him, right? Yeah, yeah. As long as he knows it's not needed and it's not required, right? But I think, conversely, there are people that need, you know, that need breaks, that need different mental breaks, right? Mm -hmm. So I think that book is phenomenal helping work, people work through the mechanics of how to establish your own work-life satisfaction and how to prioritize work-life, family, you know, in all your different core values. So this it's a really good book that uh, I would say probably a third, if not half of our company have read. Actually, one read it in one night. He was so like into it. It's called Off Balance? Off Balance, yeah. I'm horrible with authors. I'm good with book title okay. names, but it's called Off Balance. I could share it with you. So we have um, Fearless Organization, in off balance so far. Yep. Um, but that's a good book that actually, because a lot of us are engineers in our industry that like step-by-step -step instructions mm -hmm. and how to get to a solution. That yeah. book actually helps you go through those step-by-step -step instructions. Oh, interesting. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty helpful. Okay. Um, are there any data-based ways that you're making decisions? Because a lot of things so far have felt very EQ, yep. right? 
Yep. Are there database ways that you're making decisions? Yeah, there are, and um, I am an engineer, so I do like numbers and, and spreadsheets and data. Mm -hmm. um, I certainly, a lot of it's got, a lot of it is subjective, but we definitely have a lot of objective ways to incorporate. So what I like to try to do is prove the gut with the objective data. Mm -hmm. um, and a lot of lean tools, right? We use choosing by advantage a lot, right? Um, you know, you're getting to... Um, Can you explain what that is? Yeah, so it's a, it's a lean tool where choosing by advantage and you kind of have, um, you know, use weighted, kind of weighted averages based on the importance of things. So if, you, if you're deciding on three things, right, if, if say there's four or five qualities or traits that all three are completely equal, you throw those out and you just work on where the advantages and disadvantages are of a decision. And you can apply that to, um, you know, whether you're making a major promotion um, or picking, and we just use it for picking a new technology, right? We had three major pieces of technology we're evaluating. We use choosing by advantages. A, you know, we kind of had a gut going in, but we use this long process to kind of prove out what we were doing. Choosing um, by advantage. Yep. Or choosing by vantage. Choosing by advantage. Choosing by advantage. Yep. We do a lot of plus deltas. We use A3s for like um, strategic plans of sectors and departments. Hmm. Um, again, it kind of helps you think through a challenge, right? Helps you establish the current condition, think through what's working, what's not working, mm -hmm. kind of identify the gaps and then identify kind of solutions. So I think we're working, like we're using a lot more data and input to help us think through things. Okay. Any, that makes anything sense. software related, like Power BI or any of those kinds yeah, of things? Yeah, so we're, we're um, we just changed into Procore. Right, so Power BI is tied into that. So we're at the infancy of exploring that. Mm -hmm. uh, there's another piece of software that's kind of equivalent to Power BI. I can't think of the name right now. Um, Do you know? But there's another. Yeah, there's another piece of software. I can't think of the name. Um, but yeah, that's. I mean, that's where we're heading, right? Yeah. I love it. I love the dashboards and the reporting. Like that's. I, I love picking up trends and identifying trends. So kind of the engineering side. Mm -hmm. Were there any tools that you used to become a better leader? Not just tools, like tools, were there classes you took, uh, public speaking, books you read? Obviously, we talked quite a bit about books. Um, yep. But if there's more, you know, are there, you know, are there steps where, you, almost like that estimator, were there things that you did mm -hmm. that you think helped you along the way? Yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of like there's three parts, right? I think there's, I think finding a peer that you kind of idolize or look up to or use as a role model that, that maybe, okay. geez, I don't really know what it is, but let me find that peer. It's similar to a mentor, right? I was going to um, say mentor slash men role model. I think a mentor is a big, uh, a huge thing. Um, and I certainly have used those throughout my career. And even a peer group, right? We're parts of peer groups. I've been parts of peer groups. We've definitely done a lot of leadership training, um, but I'm a big book person like I, I drive 45 minutes each way and I, mm -hmm. I could burn through audio books pretty quickly yeah um, before you do that yep. though so I've spoken with f quite a few people and I continue to hear about peer groups from business owners mm -hmm. presidents how do you find a peer group Yep. Like physically, how do you find yeah. a, a peer group? And, um, you know, do you need to be C-level to be part of a peer group? Like, Absolutely you know, if not. someone's out there listening and, you know, they've heard it too, that there's these peer groups, like, what would you say to them? Like, what would be a good way to kind of get involved with the peer group to... Yeah, I mean, and again, it's, it's obviously specific to the individual, but um, so we, we've done it a couple different ways, right? So we, have, we used FMI. Um, they facilitated a peer group for Bruce Gordon, who's our CEO, and then I've jumped into one uh, as well with, with companies similar around the country. Mm -hmm. We're not competing with each other, uh, but it's a great uh, learning opportunity. Um, but even, I'll say that's on a company basis. I mean, I'm, I'm going, but it's mm -hmm. company specific, right? I think as far as an individual basis, I, I rely more on the informal type peer groups. I mean, there's companies in this industry, they were in this in Boston that I, you know, will chat with, um, close with a company in Chicago, we'll talk, right? Mm -hmm. I think what we've tried to do even in our company, right, we have a lot of like, by example, assistant project managers, right? 
they can create their own peer group, right? They don't necessarily need to just meet with their project teams or just with their project managers. Like we're trying to encourage people by position to meet as a group without managers in the room, hmm. right? So like APMs, you know, go buy yourselves lunch and just go talk. What's working, what's not working, and what we try to do is get those ideas back. If there's things, themes that you can pick up on that we can work on, like bring them, bring them our way, you know, mm -hmm. and we'll talk through them. So I think encouraging internal peer groups is important. I think the AGC has been a, a big help. Mm -hmm. um, it's you know, so I think they're there. I mean, pro, we're talking about Procore, right? There's a Procore peer group, right? We just we just kind of jumped in three or four months ago. We found there's a Procore peer group in Boston. It's mm -hmm. been extremely helpful so far. Yeah. You know, people all in it together trying to help. So okay. So you, I think you were about to go on to the books before I uh, interrupted yeah, you. Yeah, no, I think, I mean, to me, leadership, like management, you can sharpen the skills. Um, mm -hmm. em Emotional Intelligence 2.0 is a great book. Um, th that's, a, that's a good one because, it again, it's another tool that goes step by step. You can actually measure your emotional intelligence, and then you can track your progress over time if you stick with it. And I think like social awareness is a huge part of that. So they think they think you can take a test to determine yeah. your emotional intelligence. Yeah. Now, do, does it seem accurate to you? I, I, it, I think from what I've seen, the people that have taken it, I, I think it seems fairly accurate. Now, data in is only you know data yeah. out is only as good as data in. But I do think again that you know the first step of improving anything is identifying something there to improve, right? So I think that that type like that book helps you think through areas that you may struggle in. Hmm. Active listen, active listening is one of them, right? Like you, how many classes has everyone taken? That's you know speaking classes. Yeah. Well, when's the last active listening class you took? Right. <laughs> Doesn't exist. Right. That's right. what I'm saying. It's no like there's such an up. untapped <laughs> market, right? But yeah. it, that's such like that's the most important skill as mm -hmm. a leader. So you could talk through those things, but there's actually some pretty good mechanics of how to actually go about doing it, right? I would love to take that test because yeah. I bet you it would be a big e ego bruise. Yeah. <laughs> well, because it's funny. Like I, I feel like I have a pretty low IQ, but I feel like I have a pretty decent <laughs> e e EQ. But I would, uh, I would be interested to see what that uh, that book says. Yeah. No. And trust me, it, it's eye opening. And again, you know, those are the things I think about at night. There's a lot of things I, you know, I, I I'm big about self improvement. I have a lot of things to work on. I always have, mm -hmm. and I think I always will. So I read a lot of books. I think the books are kind of like the self-help type books, right? And I I try to like dabble in the extremes, right? We talked about like a David mm -hmm. Goggins, right? Can't yeah. hurt me to the extreme ownership, Jocko Willink, to the Simon Sinek leaders he last. Like to me, you, you need to see a little bit of every type of extreme and then you kind of create your own way. Yeah. Yeah, and how do you, uh, I, I find I have uh, information overload sometimes. Mm -hmm. How do you deal with, if you're reading that many books. I mean, I have the way I think I do it, but like, you know, if you're consuming 27 books, like what, how do you I, prevent I, from just being like, it's all blurs together into this? Right. I, there's some, it's funny, there's some people that will take, take notes, diligent notes, and like, this is, this is what I'm going to do. Mm -hmm. That's not me. Like to me, I'll listen to a book. I'm not taking notes usually, yeah. right? Um, and I think I try to take one or two principles from each. Mm -hmm. right, we talked about one the other day, right? Tri uh, trillion Dollar Coach was a really good one. Yeah. Um, about the kind of the, the personal coach that kind of helped guide a lot of the Silicon Valley startup companies and, and big companies, you know, Facebook, Microsoft, Apple. Um, but one of his key principles was like, get, get the stakeholders in a room and address the most important issue first. No, help, no matter how hard it is. And that's just like the one thing I took away from that book and it's, it's kind of helped mm. in a lot of ways. Um, so I try to just take one or two things from each and okay, so and that consume e one at a time. That <laughs> EQ one is really interesting to me. Um, peer groups, I think, like you said, would be great. I think people might struggle to find them. And a mentor or a role model. Yep, those are kind of the ways that you've you've gone about it. For sure. Okay. What would you tell someone that is either put in the position or would like to be a leader them, themselves? Um, I, I would ask a lot of questions, right? And again, if they're, let's say they're not in our company and there's just someone that's yeah. reaching out, right? There's somebody right now that's kind of put in that position or wants to do it. They're 28 years old working at 
we'll stick with Turner. They're working at yeah. Turner and they want to be a, a leader. Yep. Yeah, I would ask in their definition, just like you're doing me, what's your definition of a leader? Right? Because some yep. people may say, well, it's, I want to be a PX. A title doesn't mean you're a leader. So what, what do you mean you want to be a leader? Right? Mm -hmm. Start to explore that a little bit. And then, you know, maybe um, see how inquisitive they are. And, yeah. and uh, again, I, I would do the same depending on where they're at. Maybe I would offer, and I think one thing we've, we've tried to do and I try to do is get, get 360 feedback from my people and mm -hmm. all of our people. Yeah. I think that's super eye-opening. So I would offer maybe some informal feedback from, your, from the people that you've worked with. You know, some, some qualities around leadership and see how you're doing with those so you know what you have to work on. Because I think um, sometimes we're so close to it, you, don't, you can't see it in yourself. Mm -hmm. So I think getting feedback from, from other people that know you and have worked with you is extremely important. Okay. Yeah. All right. So I'm going to pause before I go to the last question. And um, any of you guys have any questions? Or if you want to think about it, I'll go ahead and ask my last question. And then if there's anything, we'll, uh, we'll pass them on to Sean. So the last question, I usually tell everybody this beforehand. I didn't tell uh -oh. you this, so you're going to be completely on the spot. But the question are, is two questions, which is, what do you think we'll see more of? And what do you think we'll see less of in the next two, five, ten years? You don't have to be held. I don't want three answers for each one, but and I'm saying you don't have to be so rigid as, you know, one of them. But what do you kind of see in the future? What do you think we're going to see more of? in the future and what do you think we're going to see less of? Are you talking industry specific? In the construction industry. Yep. And it could be broad, it could be yeah, like no, the market sector, it could be technology, it could be whatever. But yeah, I mean there's the like the work type thing, right, where I think the, the where we're heading with um, electrifying everything, I think clearly that's a huge industry specific. I mean we're building a couple of facilities for battery storage, right? Hmm. Um, so I think the... Singing the, my tune. Yeah, I think that's, you know, um, Everything from um, electrification, yeah, resiliency, right? I think people want to be less dependent on the grid, right, um, as well. So I think battery backup and things like that, solar. Um, mm -hmm. So I think obviously that that side, the the tax incentives and the um, you know the, the the code, as you know, right? Everything's yeah. kind of helping push that, right? The funding, yep. infrastructure bills. So I think that's going to be a, a huge thing. But I'd say on a, on the, I'll say on the softer side, right? I think. Mm -hmm. Everyone thinks construction is, you know, doesn't evolve, doesn't develop, right? We're behind in technology. I think the technology is going to develop. I think that's going to be there. But I think, <laughs> I think you can also advance on the softer side. Like we were talking about this. We had a big interview for a project a couple of weeks ago, huge project. And to me, you think about it, it we're, all, we're all teams trying to work together. So like the human side of how teams interact, that needs to evolve. Right? Hmm. You think about it. We're going after a $100 million project. We get 45 minutes to sit with the team and they have to make a decision like that. What, what, that makes no sense. Hmm. Spend it, instead of spending three weeks on a proposal that no one's going to read, how about you spend two days doing some team building activities and getting to know the people hmm. and see if you actually want to work with these people for two years? Like, so to me, like the teamwork and team dynamics, because it really is, right? You think about all the jobs you've been on. Like, yep. teams, jobs succeed or fail because the teams either work well or don't. It's not usually because we can't figure out how to build something, mm -hmm. right? So the technology is going to help and the efficiency, the workforce shortage is a major issue, right? That we have to, we have to do things a little differently as we move forward. Mm -hmm. But to me, a lot of it is how teams and people interact. And we've, uh, we've talked about it. We've gone yeah. from the yellows and screamers, you know, to now, right? We're, we're talking, think about the AGC, what we're talking about. We're talking about DEI, super important, workforce shortage, getting more people exposed in high schools, right? Mm -hmm. We're talking about sustainability. We're talking about wellness. Yep. Right, mental health of construction workers. Did yep. you think 25 years ago we'd be talking about mental health of construction workers? Never the motto was is. suck it up, right? It's a tough industry, suck it up. We're not talking about wellness in our industry. Like, so to me, that's the stuff that I'm like excited about, the, the yeah. softer side of it, yep. and which really means people are gonna have a better experience in our industry, right? Yeah, no, you and me both. And, and it's funny, you think about that model of doing a proposal versus doing team building with somebody and I could almost see being the contractor and after spending you know 20 hours with the owner you might want to say like there's no fucking way in the world I want to <laughs> work for this person like we're, we're good right like yeah. and I don't think that would be a bad thing I think it would be a wonderful thing because 
how many times have we worked for bad owners that just, you know, ruin your life, right. you know, and you're just like, oh my God, I would fucking never work with this person again. And if you could have learned that, right. what's that worth? Absolutely. Right? And both ways, right? Let's, let's mm. figure this stuff out now. Let's, let's get to know each other. Let's figure out if you want to spend the next two years with each other. Yeah. Because ultimately, right, when you get to a certain point, I think I'd like to think we're kind of, you know, job works in the same, right? Like mm. we all can build pretty much most projects, right? The difference ends up being which team do you do it with? Yeah. And what, what kind of experience do you want? We all have slightly different experiences, but let us really expose what that is mm. and that's not you're not going to read that on a piece of paper you're not going to get that all you can pick up on it a little in an hour interview but you're not going to get it all yeah right okay all right doesn't have to be anything yeah go ahead, chris sean columbia specific um, do you guys do any in-house training or do you facilitate a lot of this stuff whether that's management or yeah, so we, uh, a little of both. So we're actually, we went through leadership training for certain groups and certain positions three years ago, three and a half years ago, pre-COVID. Um, but we're getting ready to do it again with an external, more a different external company um, for like our project executives and sector leaders and senior project managers. Um, so a little bit of both. Um, we did a lot of internal training kind of during COVID, you know, whether it was teamwork, accountability, those type of things but we do think we need a little bit more refinement on the leadership side overall. Do you think it was successful? I think uh, it was Understanding it needs a little more refinement? Yeah, I think it was successful, but I think what we've, we've also had a lot of positional changes and managers that are newer. Yeah. So it's kind of time to do it again. Yeah. Uh, we're kind of exploring, we haven't picked one yet, but we're kind of exploring different approaches and styles, just going back to that point. Which yeah. one will work with us? Which one will mesh with us? Yeah. Any yeah. technical training? Uh, we, yeah, we do check technical training. Um, I mean, right now we're like knee deep into the Procore training, right? Because uh, we're, we're getting everyone certified and going that road. Mm. Um, but we, we, we definitely have a technical component. We have, we've worked really hard to get, create a central learning program. Mm-hmm. We used to be a little more disorganized on the training, um, but Jen Broderick is helping us really centrally okay. collate our training. And so is she like L and D? She's uh, head of uh, HR. Okay. Um, but she works phenomenal with all the managers to pull things in, make sure timing works, make sure the, the phasing of it works and mm. people aren't overloaded. And do you say, when you say like they have an infrastructure there, is it a software that manages it or is it just like internally she's managing, okay, we want to make sure everybody that's an assistant super has a CSL license, has been through OSHA 10, uh, should have mechanical systems training, yep. whatever, like, is, is that what it, like, how is that? Yeah, so Paylocity has a component to help track all those things, and she's really the central coordinator. So she's done a good job. Again, a lot of what we do is try to sleuth our people for a feedback on what they want training on or what they feel they need training on. So coming out of performance reviews, we gather all that information, then meet with the managers and kind of hone in on this year, timing, what makes sense, mm-hmm. what lines up with the company, um, initiatives, making sure we're all marching in the same direction. And you said Paylocity? Paylocity helps track it. It's really more of a tracker and organizer. Okay. And is that like a payroll software? And it has that as well, yeah. Thing? Yeah, okay. HR, payroll, and, and, and learning. Okay. Yep. Anything else? Yeah. Uh, I would, on the building of the teams, do you look into uh, like the Clifton strengths? Have you, have you done any of that yet? Yeah, so we use predict, uh, Predictive Index. And we've dove, again, deep down to that wormhole to analyze team dynamics on the predict- predictive index side. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say we, we probably take the approach of we rough out a team first and then make sure it makes sense. And then when the team is assembled and finalized, uh, certainly on the larger jobs especially, we'll sit down and analyze as a group people's strengths, weaknesses, um, how to interact with each other, how they like to absorb information, those type of things. Mm-hmm. So predictive index is, is the one we use. Yeah. And now, so predictive index presumably will have a, you know, you're a, either a letter or a number yeah. or how does it, whatever it goes. Yep. You're then looking at the team like, okay, we have Harry, Sally, Billy, and Sarah. They're all high A's. That's a pr- that's probably not good. Or I don't know, high whatever, you know what I'm yeah, talking yeah, about, yep. for example. Like, are you then saying we should probably take... Sarah out and put so and so in because 
they'll balance that out? Potentially, yeah. And, mm -hmm. and um, certainly at the minimum, um, make people aware of what each other's predictive indexes and how they like to interact, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, if you have a, like, by example, if you have a, a AD conflict, they call it, right, where you, you have a tough time making decisions. If you have three people that are in charge of project management and none of them can make a decision, that's a problem, yeah. right? Yeah. Um, but, you know, I think more than anything, it's awareness. It's awareness, right, where, mm. you know, people can be, again, that silent person doesn't speak up at the meetings, right? That, uh, hi, A, that could rub the wrong way. Oh, it's just this person is not bought in. They don't know, you know, they're not into it, right? In reality, if you understand, they absorb information differently, right? Maybe they have to think through their thoughts and come back instead of just talk through their thoughts, right? Mm -hmm. That's just a huge part of making sure the team works effectively, right? Okay, great. Do you think being a leader in any position is something inherent or it's can be done by training? Um, I think there is a little bit of inherent. I do think it can be um, learned and sharpened if that makes sense. But I do believe there has to be something buried deep inside. I, I, I kind of do. Um, but again, I was lucky enough to work with some great people that exposed me to different things and put me in opportunities that I didn't think I deserved, quite frankly, right? Um, but I, I do think they can be refined and learned. It's funny, because we, we, I, I came a few years ago when I talked to one of, the dean, one of the deans, and he was asking what else Wentworth right, could, could uh, teach. And we talked a lot about these soft skills. Um, and I'm not sure if that's happening or not, but that was like where my mind went. There's not, nothing technical I could really think of. It's more about um, how to work as a team, right? How to, you know, um, and again, it sounds like with Abley, there might be some of these classes they're talking about, right? Asking, you know, how to ask questions, how to be inquisitive. That's great, it's great to hear. But to me, that's what the industry needs. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, in addition to the technical skills, you need that the softer side. But I do so. I do think it can be the the the, the tools can be sharpened for sure. Okay. Uh, I wonder if you ask what are the best quality? What are the qualities of a good leader? I should say. What are the best qualities? Or what makes a good leader to be a good leader? Mm -hmm. Yeah, for me, and again, it, everyone gravitates to different type of leaders, but for me specifically, um, and I could list 20 of them, but I would say if the top traits, uh, humility, um, I'd say a team first approach, and that kind of goes with um, looking out for everyone on the team, right? Mm -hmm. So kind of the team first approach. Uh, and I, th I think, I think active listening is a huge part of it. I think that's, if you, if you can't listen and you're, you're not perceptive and you're not inquisitive enough about people, I don't know. Do you have any good tips for active listening? Think about it. Before you go into a meeting, literally tell yourself, I am going to let people finish their sentence and I'm going to pause and think about what they said. And that's as, that's as simple as I could take it because that's really what I do. <laughs> it's like, because we're all so passionate about things, right? We're so, at least I am. Mm. I, and I know a lot of people are in our industry, right? So you're so anxious and people are so anxious. And it's just like, so we actually are at the point now, again, go back to the psychological side. We actually kind of, it's funny, two people in our company, I have like almost like code words. If they're starting to cut people off, I'll say a code word. Or if I'm starting to cut people off, we'll like use this little joking code word. We have a little laugh. It's like, yeah, no, point taken, gotcha. You know, <laughs> it's like, so honestly, it's just thinking about it. But I think that is so important to create that environment where people feel heard. Mm. Um, and again, I think the other part of a, of a leader, right, is, and we talk about like a democratic approach and it's sleuthing opinions, which is just super important, but you have to be able to make tough decisions. And when your team starts to get large, it's really hard to get 100% buy-in on anything, right? And I think that's just, those are the things that keep me up at night. I could have a 99% win rate and I still worry about that 1%. That's what I lose sleep over, but it's the reality. Sometimes mm. not everyone's going to be satisfied. And you have to be able to, t to understand that. Yeah, well, that makes sense. Yeah. I think the other one that I found was a decent tip, and I don't know if it was based on anything, but someone told me it was, you know, to ask somebody a, ask somebody a question. So when they're talking about something, ask a clarifying question about what they just said to you. Yep. 
and it both it does two things. It means that you have to listen to what they're saying if you're going to ask them a question about it, and then it also lets them know that you actually listened to what they said because most people don't feel like you're really listening to them, and that just creates frustration. Right. Right. It's a great tip. Absolutely. You know, because you're just you're waiting for them just to take a breath so you can say what you want to say. Right. You know, and then the person's thinking, all right, this person didn't hear anything I said. Right. Yeah, so you ask a question or you kind of repeat back saying, so if I, if I hear you right, you mean this, right? So, yeah, clarifying question or yeah. statement, absolutely. It's a great tip. And sometimes it can be as simple as, like, they're talking about, like, oh, yeah, the, 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 something that was green, you know, and you could be like, was it, you know, if it mattered, you could be like, like you're talking, like, high-vis green or was it, like, you know, right. emerald green? Right. Yeah, like, in, not to ask unnecessary questions, right. but if that's relevant, like it right. doesn't have to be like some deep philosophical question you're asked. Just listen to them enough to be able to, you know, a ask them a question and don't make up a question. Right. But you know, if it's if it's there, I think I, I found that one absolutely helpful. Because yeah, no, I think it's I think it's a great point. As I cut you off, <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, I need my safe word. Um, but the other thing, and I know we talked about this yesterday a little bit, but um, understanding that you can't treat people how you want to be treated, right? You can't? Well, you, you shouldn't expect, you shouldn't just assume oh, yes, you, you want to be yes. treated like yes, how right. I would want to be treated, right? Right, you right, right? You might want a different approach. You might be motivated differently, right? So I think as far as management style and leadership style, you have to understand everyone's different. And you can't, you know, and Jim Marsh gave me that tip 15 years ago, like you don't, you know, you can't assume everyone is you. Yes. It's good advice. And if you think about it, it's, it's extremely true, right? Yeah. And to clarify, because we were, what we were discussing, because a lot of people would say, like, no, wasn't I always taught, like, treat others how you would want to be treated? And yes, from a respect of, you know, be respectful and be kind and all those things, absolutely. But um, I think what you're, what you're talking about is from a management style. Right. Some people might want, all the directions written down on how to do something. Correct. Other people might be like, just tell me what you want me to do and I'll take care of it. Just stay away from me, right? Absolutely. From that perspective, you have to kind of know your people there and, Correct. and understand what you're dealing with. Yep. Okay. Sean? Excellent. Excellent. Thanks for, uh, thanks for coming out. Thanks for spending uh, quite a lot of time between the phone conversation and conversation here. And I think everybody out here appreciates it. And, um, We'll all spend a little time in chat now. All right. Appreciate it, Joe. Thank yep. you. Thanks, Joe.